This is the podcast where you can listen to my award-winning audiobook, But He Spit in My Coffee. I'm Carrie Williams, the author. Cindy Peller is our reader. If you haven't been with us since the beginning, I suggest going back to start with episode one. 40. Devin swivels in a padded chair while Amy, our chirpy intake coordinator, describes the PRTF program at New Hope Treatment Center with the breathless enthusiasm of a travel agent pitching an all-inclusive vacation package. Hiking, bowling, swimming, gardening, drumming, yoga, crafts, movies. She arches perfectly contoured eyebrows at Devin. Do you like chocolate cake? He bobs his head eagerly. We have the best chocolate cake here, and you can have as much as you like. I want to smack the Cheshire cat grin off his face. This is not what I signed up for. Devin is not here to be rewarded for his horrific behavior. Amy's perky face freezes. She opens her mouth as if to say something, but then closes it, apparently at a loss for words. I turn to face Devin, reminding him with my unflinching glare that I know the score, even if Amy doesn't. He stops spinning in the chair and hangs his head theatrically. I add, he's here to learn to behave himself. Okay, says Amy, judgment and condescension jam-packed into those two syllables. Let's see if our clinician is available. Reaching a hand to Devon, she leads us out of the room and down a long corridor with thin brown carpet. The yellow concrete block walls are reminiscent of an old-school building with layers of paint caked over decades of mayhem. Devon and I wait in the hall outside of an office while Amy has a hushed conversation inside. I eye the neon exit sign. Devon leans against a wall, curling his body in on itself and drops his chin. Seeing his melodramatic frown, I consider how he must seem to Amy, small, innocent, and vulnerable. Amy returns with her colleague, a tall woman with long brown hair and blunt-cut bangs. Ms. Williams, I'm Beth. Her pale hand is chilly as she shakes mine. I follow her into the office and Amy ushers Devin away, probably for a piece of that chocolate cake. The office is crammed tight with a desk, a tall filing cabinet, and two folding chairs. Coloring sheets and kids' drawings are taped to the walls, and a boxy computer monitor is on the desk. Beth sits and motions me to a chair. I remain standing. Beth says, Amy tells me you have some concerns. Devin is going to see this place as a reward for his bad behavior. In that patronizing way therapists do, Beth doesn't respond. She fixes me with a patient gaze, which is incredibly awkward since we only met two seconds ago. Provoked by her silence, I finally blurt, It's going to make him worse. Tell me more about that. Condescension drips from every word, making me feel foolish. Stupid. He's having violent tantrums. Rages, I say. Nonplussed, Beth lets the silence stretch. I already don't like this woman, and I can tell she's judging me. He's bad at home. So we send him here to swim? To go to the movies? How does that make sense? 
Then, like a car out of gas, I splutter, lurch, and stall out. Wow, you're so mad at him. Beth looks at me in a detached way, like I'm a specimen from a science exhibit or something. I don't understand what a little boy could have done for you to be so mad at him. Choking on my outrage, I reach for the doorknob. I can't leave him here. I just can't. Wait, please. Beth motions me back. Let me explain our philosophy. With reluctance, I settle into the chair. I don't want to disappoint Brianna and Anaya after they worked so hard to get us in here. Beth explains how, when a child experiences abuse or neglect at an early age, their brain does not develop normally. She tells me about the specialized therapeutic model they use at New Hope to treat this. We'll identify underdeveloped areas of Devon's brain. Then we'll use therapeutic activities and interventions to stimulate development of those areas. As she describes the program in more detail, I pick at the chapped skin on my lower lip and consider her words. Let's do this, she says. Leave Devon here. Go home. And do some research on our model, then see how you feel. Before deciding, I need a few minutes to think. Passing under the neon exit sign, I pull out my cell phone and call Becky. My words come out around a sob. He's going to get worse here. You have to get him out of your house. Nothing else matters right now. But he'll see this as a reward. I don't care if it's Disney World, Becky says. Leave him. I return to Beth's office and tell her Devin can stay, for now. They've already taken Devin to his cottage, and Beth explains that I won't be allowed to see or talk to him until after the 21-day orientation period. I stumble through the parking lot feeling disoriented, confused, and nauseous. Later that evening, I sit in bed and pull up New Hope's website. I find the name of the therapeutic model they use and Google it. When a child experiences trauma, the areas of the brain that are affected depends on their stage of development at the time when the trauma occurs. Like a domino effect, if lower parts of the brain are underdeveloped, higher levels may not develop properly. Clinicians begin at the lowest level of underdeveloped function and work in the same sequence as normal brain development happens to try to stimulate the development to occur. Therapies include music, yoga, and drumming to target specific areas of the brain. I'm impressed. It's scientifically based. I like that. Despite my misgivings, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm going to give this a chance. 41. My body is rooted in place. I'm not sure that I can go in. Not exploring my culpability or letting down my shield of determination is how I've survived all these years. But I have to do this. Devin will be coming home in just three months. Stealing myself, I open the car door and go inside. Marianne's specialties are anxiety, relationships, addictions, family, and parenting. She is older, with butterscotch hair, soft wrinkles, and blue eyes. I relax as we fill out paperwork. 
name, address, emergency contacts, and insurance details. No feelings. I can do this. By the time that is finished, we have only 15 minutes left. Marianne says, Tell me about why you're here today. Shrinking into the corner of the armchair, I grasp for the right words. After a few false starts, like white water rapids, the story rushes out. By the time I'm finished, I'm gulping out words. I don't love him. There's something wrong with me. I don't know how to make myself love him. I take a tissue and jab at my eyes. Marianne assures me that we can work through these issues together. We schedule a next appointment. I leave to pick up the kids from school and drop Amias at soccer practice. As I park at the side of the field, my phone rings. It's Devin. How are you? I ask, waving Amias out of the car. I'll be there soon, I mouth to him. Brandon leaps from the car to play on the swing set, but Kayla stays sitting next to me. Devin's voice is cheerful. When are you going to visit me? I'll have to ask Miss Beth about that, but I'm sure soon. How do you like it there? Have you made friends? Can you bring McDonald's when you come? As he dictates his order to me like I'm a drive through attendant, I'm suddenly overwhelmed by the need to get away from his voice. My call days are Mondays and Wednesdays, he tells me. We talk until his ten minutes are up. I'll call you tomorrow, I promise. Don't forget McDonald's. A number two and a number four. No, uh, a number six. He hangs up without saying goodbye. I call Devin's cottage the next evening and can hear the worker's muffled voice saying, It's your mom. Then Devin. I don't want to talk to her. You sure? She wants to talk to you. Devin doesn't come to the phone. My nerves snap and tingle. He's ten. How is this his choice? Later that week, I'm sitting in Marianne's office, listening to her calming voice. Inhale. One, two, three, four, five. Exhale. Five, four, three, two, one. My eyes are closed as I try to relearn how to relax. Simple, but I've been so busy surviving that I've forgotten how to breathe. This is something you can do anywhere, Marianne says, riding in your car, sitting at your desk, anytime you are feeling anxious. Marianne asks about my relationship with Devin and I slip my flip-flops off and curl my feet beneath me. Have I ever felt attached to him? Am I attached to my other kids? What's my relationship like with my own mother? What is it like when Devin is living at home? How do I feel now that he's gone? Great. I feel great. And that's the problem. I hide my new candy pink acrylic nails under my thighs. Since Devin's left, I've had my eyebrows waxed too into a sophisticated arch. Kayla calls them my angry eyebrows, but I think they make me look younger. I've started reading a novel and bought tickets to take the kids to the circus. 
Even so, I'm not enjoying this new life. New hope is a mistake, and it's going to come back to bite me worse than before. Devin has won, and he's going to be impossible for me to manage. He's escaped consequences. In my daydreams, he taunts me as he skips to the pool, surrounded by boys and girls in bright swimsuits, chocolate frosting smeared around his mouth. It doesn't make sense. If he ends up in juvenile detention, he sure won't be playing in a pool or eating chocolate cake. Marianne patiently listens to my diatribe. Then she asks, Have you thought of trying some medication for your anxiety? I haven't. She tells me I've developed PTSD based on my symptoms of irritability, hypervigilance, severe anxiety, social avoidance, and sleep disturbances. I brush this off. PTSD from being a mom? But Becky makes an appointment for me with my primary care doctor to request an antidepressant. 42. Powdered donuts are Devin's favorite. Pro. Beth will think I'm a good mom. Con. I can't reward Devin for his bad behavior. Pro. I really need Beth to think I'm a good mom. I leave the shop with my usual coffee and a powdered donut in a waxy white bag. By the time I reach New Hope, I've changed my mind. I throw the bag in the trash can as I walk into the main building. Devin is already in Beth's office. Hi, he says, mopey and hanging his head. I bristle at the obviously contrived drama, glad I didn't bring him that donut after all. What's the matter? He twiddles his thumbs round and round like roosters chasing each other, but doesn't answer. Beth prompts, Devin, why don't you tell Mom about your concern, the one we talked about earlier? He still doesn't respond or look up. Beth speaks for him. Devin has had a few rough days because he's been trying to process his hurt feelings over you not calling him like you promised. I straighten in my chair. I called every night. I counted out on my fingers. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I called. You refused to come to the phone. Isn't that true, Devin? I demand. He doesn't respond. Are you sure staff didn't tell you that your mom was on the phone? Beth's voice is as soothing as aloe vera on a sunburn. Maybe you didn't hear them or uh, got confused? Yeah, I, uh, I was confused, he mumbles. Beth nods understandingly, but I snap. That's not true. There's nothing confusing about it. I didn't know they was asking me to come to the phone, he insists. I let out an uncouth snort and flop back into my chair. Bess swivels away from me and toward Devin. Why don't you tell your mom about how you've been using your coping skills? I've been taking deep breaths and walks with staff. How has that been working for you? Beth asks. Good. Except yesterday. Let's talk about that, Beth says. 
He gnaws on the skin around his thumbnail. Beth says, Unfortunately, Devin's negative behaviors disrupted the classroom. He was throwing things, and his peers had to be removed for their safety. But I'm so proud of him. She accentuates the statement as if punctuating it with three exclamation points. He showed wonderful self-control. He stopped engaging in negative behaviors in time to go with the class to swim and didn't miss the rest of his day. She can't be serious. Devin glances at me with obvious trepidation. I ask, he went swimming? What was his consequence? We don't consequence kids here, Ms. Williams. We focus on rewarding good behaviors. Devin has his eyes fixed on the floor, but in the profile of his face, I see a smile round his cheeks. Beth must read the dismay and shock on my face because she motions for Devin to stand. Say goodbye to Bomb now. It's time to go back to class. A thousand ants race under my skin as I attempt to mentally regroup while Beth is gone. She returns and fixes her gaze on me and waits. You know, he'll just do it again. I splutter, halfway to hysteria. I can barely string words together. Now that he knows he can. All he learned is that he can misbehave when he doesn't want to do something, then stop being bad when he wants to do something else. If we consequence kids, it's all we'll be doing, and we won't be able to do therapy, she says. When Devin has an incident, the goal is to move on as quickly as possible. Nothing is gained by giving him a consequence. How does he transition home, then? I can't ignore the bad behavior and not give him consequences at home. That might work here, but not at home. As we address the underlying issues, the negative behaviors will diminish. No child is bad on purpose. Her tone is shaming. And I am shamed. I mull over the family therapy session as I drive home. It seems that Beth didn't know who to believe about the phone calls, me or Devin. Stopping at Walgreens, I pick out a small notebook with a pink polka dot cover and snappy elastic clasp. Waiting in line to check out, I claw at my forearms wanting to peel my skin off. I take out my bottle of antidepressants and swallow a pill. Not remembering if I took one yesterday, I swallow another. I don't have to wait long to christen my new notebook. That evening, the nurse calls and I write the date and time and take notes as she speaks. New Hope nurse call. Devin throwing tantrum for over three hours in quiet room. Nurse asking permission for PRN. I don't know what the acronym PRN stands for, but Devin has had them before. A nurse at Eastside once explained to me that PRNs are injections of calming medications like Benadryl. What upset him? I ask. The trigger seems to have been his family therapy session this morning, the nurse from New Hope says. They're blaming me for his meltdown? I add to my notes. Trigger? Mom. 43. I pull onto the long-wooded drive and follow the winding road to the main parking lot of New Hope's campus. 
Devin has had time to settle in, and this is our first family visit. You need to act like you want to see Devin, I say to a chorus of groans from the kids. We walk down a sidewalk through the grassy courtyard surrounded by squat brick buildings. It's a sunny Saturday morning, but no one is outside except for us. We pass a gangly metal swing set, benches, and a basketball hoop atop a small concrete pad. The cottages are small rectangular buildings, each occupied by up to eight kids. Some are co-ed, while others are single-sex. Each cottage has two staff members on duty 24-7. They call this level of care line-of-sight supervision because the kids are always in view of staff. At night, when the kids sleep, the staff checks on them every 15 minutes. The first cottage that we approach is called the Beehive. I laugh and wonder who thought that name was a good idea. Amias runs ahead to read the sign on the next building. He calls, Mom, this one is Camp Carefree. Devin greets us at the door of Camp Carefree, wearing a magician's top hat and cape. And I assume they're part of a dress-up collection for preschoolers. I have zero patience for how this place is coddling his immaturity. Behind Devin stands a young man with a goatee. I'm Mr. Desmond, he says, holding the door open. He's willowy and wearing low-slung jeans and a T-shirt. Devin leads us down a narrow hallway, which opens into a common area. The rustic smell reminds me of that timeshare we stayed in when we took the kids on a mountain vacation a couple years ago. There's a soggy 1970s-era avocado sofa, and along the opposite wall, a galley kitchen flanks a rectangular table and chairs. You want to see a magic trick? Devin asks Brandon, waving a chintzy plastic wand in the air. Brandon jumps for it. Where are the other kids? I ask, scrunching my eyebrows into a question mark. I quickly smooth my features, remembering how Sam says the wrinkles between my eyes look like a Wi-Fi signal. We have to put the other clients in their bedrooms when visitors are here for their privacy, Mr. Desmond says. Devin leads us to his bedroom, beaming as if it's the Hilton. A tree blocks the window and obscures most of the sunlight. There's a basic twin bed pushed against one wall, built-in shelves, and a five-drawer bureau. The floor is a painted concrete slab. Sam says, nice, this is real nice, man. Why don't we go outside, I suggest, guiding them out of the room and toward the door. Devin leaves his magician accoutrements on the table. Back outside, the boys play basketball while Kayla and I watch from a bench. They hoop and holler. Sam is too competitive to take it easy, even on brothers half his age. He dribbles, easily dodging them and making basket after basket. Brandon hangs on Sam's arm and soars through the air when he shoots. I look at my cell phone, knowing I have to stay at least an hour for appearances. The boys sweat. Kayla grows antsy. Is it time to go yet? She whines every few minutes. We stay for exactly one hour, then walk Devin back to his cottage. He jogs to a shelf in the common room and returns with some coloring pages for us. Care bears and rainbows with pots of gold. What happened to the notion that kids rise to expectations? As we leave, Devin stands at the door with the top hat back on his head. Thanks for coming.
he calls, waving madly as if we're leaving a tea party, not a psych facility. The kids didn't want to visit him, I tell Mary Ann. She nods thoughtfully and sets down her pad and pen on the low table between us. How do you think living with Devin has been for your other children? I picture Brandon cowering behind my legs as I twist the marble elephant bookend out of Devin's hands. Afraid. Amaya's sobbing because Devin refused to get in the minivan and he's missing his soccer game. Angry. Kids at school whispering about their brother breaking a window. Embarrassed. He terrorizes them. Marianne nods, letting me think aloud. She's like a comfortable grandma. He keeps them from having a normal life. They miss sports games and birthday parties. I taught Amias to read when he was four, but I haven't had time to teach Brandon. Another parenting failure. Sam is in his last semester of high school, but he may not pass his classes. I take his online math quizzes for him. I'm going to give his teachers gift cards for Christmas, hoping they'll feel too guilty to fail him. Yes, my lofty parenting ideals are long gone. I rub at my temples as my angst mounts. I keep thinking how odd Brandon's anxiety is. Amias was never like that. Maybe it's from the stress of living with Devin? He was around all that chaos from the time he was born. Marianne nudges the tissue box toward me. If you think about it, he was exposed even in the womb. It makes sense that he'd be anxious and hypervigilant. I've known the last few years have been unpleasant for the kids, but she's right. It's been so much worse than unpleasant. Guilt wrings my heart like a dish rag. Never again. Whatever it takes, I will never make them live like that again. Marianne and I spend the rest of the session discussing practical ways I can help Amias, Kayla, and Brandon heal from their trauma. Listening to and accepting their feelings, creating a stable and safe environment, and not forcing them to spend time with Devin until they're ready. At the end of our session, Marianne suggests counseling for the kids and jots down the names of three child therapists. Walking toward my car, I notice a missed call from my mom and several new work emails. Ignoring them, I scroll through the browser on my phone, looking up the first therapist on the list. My phone vibrates. New hope flashes, stealing away the screen and my attention. I'm calling to inform you about an incident Devin had today, the new hope nurse says in a clipped voice. He didn't want to participate in a group activity with his peers. When staff intervened, he kicked and hit them. Then he took a jump rope and wrapped it around his neck. Her words knock the wind out of me, and I have to lean against my car to steady myself. This has been But He Spit in My Coffee. Join me for the next episode to find out what happens next.